Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, come take a seat, everybody. How are you? I thought I'd... I couldn't think of a joke to start with today, so I, I just thought I'd dress like one. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks. The kids, when I left this morning, were like, oh, you're dressing like a bad guy. I, oh, you're a bad guy, Dad. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, Awesome. Hey, uh, so we're in, a, we're in a series, we're in the middle of a series, uh, it's the Kingdom Life Series, Kingdom Life Series, and um, <clears throat> we're just going to dive straight in. So last Sunday night, um, I got to share on about, about the alternate kingdom that is opposed to the kingdom of God. Um, was anyone here on Sunday night? Some of you. There was a few of you. Okay. There is a podcast and uh, not all of our services are live streamed, but in the evening there's still a podcast. So you can still go back and listen to these things. So um, that, was, uh, that was Sunday night. And on Sunday night we identified this character in Scripture called Satan as the king of this world who operates in the domain of darkness. And uh, he, he essentially... We established that he had usurped the authority and the dominion that belongs to humanity, that belongs to you and I, belong to Adam and Eve. And Christ has then reestablished victory over him, conquering sin and death and gaining the keys back to the kingdom. This, this enemy, though, is still waging warfare against humanity to keep us ignorant to who we are, who we are as sons and daughters. And so uh, we, we kind of dived into that on Sunday night, and I want to take off from there. Um, we actually looked at uh, engaging in warfare. Uh, ultimately, we're engaged in warfare whether you like it or not, right? So you, you, you may as well better learn to relish the fight. That's why I dressed like this, okay? <laughs> it's a little bit mongrel, but <clears throat> we're in for a fight this morning. Um, it, w- it would probably be a mistake to blame the enemy for everything, okay? Warfare is actually coming to us on three significant fronts. Firstly, our own human flesh, right? Can anybody relate to that? Uh, our own carnal drives, our instincts, our impulses, no kids in here, our hungry, our, I'm horny, haughtiness, those things that lead to sin uh, when we're tempted up the wrong way. Um, and secondly, so firstly flesh, secondly worldliness or the spirit of the world. This is like the do- dominant hegemonic culture that we live in. And it's so uh, out of sync with the kingdom of God, like consumerism, uh, like secular humanism, like atheistic worldview. Um, but to be honest, it's so part of who we are. Like it's so part of our world. It's like, it's like the air that we breathe. It's like if we were fish, it would be the water that we're swimming in. So it's actually quite challenging to distinguish between what is worldliness and honestly, what is Christianity these days? Um, but worldliness is essential is, is essentially a return to Babel. You know how they built that big tower, and it was about it was about the arrogance of humanity that our own actions could build our own way to heaven, right? And so it's a, it's a return to that. Uh, and the third thing 
the third uh, battle front that we fight on is against Satan and the demonic realm. And that's the part that I'm wanting to develop further this morning. Um, because I think it's vital. It's a vital part of kingdom life. We're in the kingdom life series, and it's vital that we know who our enemy is. Uh, and why is it appropriate to do so on Father's Day? Good question. Did you ask yourself that question? Uh, <laughs> well, because if the enemy can, if the enemy can take out fathers. If the enemy can get fathers to believe illusions, then he can govern households and generational lines, and he can plunder from us. So I really believe this morning is a summoning to the men in this room, in our church, and in our nation to rise up. For, for, for all of us to take back ground and to reassert, uh, to uh, our authority to come back to a defense, uh, an offensive position and not just be on the defensive all the time. So I know this is intense, right? Is this what you were, thought you were in for this morning? But to be honest, we've avoided it for long enough. We, we avoid this conversation, right? And we've mistakenly believed that if we just ignore the enemy, then he'll go away. Uh, but instead, we've actually grown ignorant to his wiles, to his ways, so uh, I'm going to start, this is a bit of a biblical, um, <clears throat> we're going to track through some scripture, but uh, we're looking at the motif that the scripture uses to replicate God's heavenly kingdom, right, and the throne of God, which is the, the, the motif of the temple, okay? Essentially, God says that he will, God comes to establish himself on earth, right? And he did it in a tabernacle, in a temple, and in Jesus, and then us believers are the temple. It says in, it says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you, believers, are that temple. It's not, it doesn't get more clear than that. You are the temple of the living God. And this is, um, this is symbolism that can be traced back to God's original dwelling place among humanity after the fall, that tabernacle, that temple that was established on earth. And it, but it's not, just, it's not just symbolism. The more I look into this, the less I go, oh, that was just a, a symbol or a metaphor. No, this is like metaphysical and spiritual. This is reality. You are a temple. And ultimately... You are a place for God to abode in, where he can be enthroned on the throne of your heart or your spirit. And uh, we, I like, like to, the, the temple is a prototype, right? And it has um, it's many rooms. Uh, if you think about the temple of old, in the Old Testament, there's many rooms. There's an outer court. This represents your body, those drives, those instincts, uh, those desires. Then there's an inner court. And this represents your soul with its mind and its will and its emotions. And then there's the holy of holies, that holy place, which is your spirit, where you get to commune with God. You have a conscience, you have intuition or perception. So you're a triune being. And the temple represents those three spaces in humanity. Then each of those three spaces, obviously to get into the outer court, there's an entrance, right? There's an entrance and an exit to every room. Has anyone got a house, live in a building? So you enter, 
into the building, into a room, you enter into it through a door. So in the, the temple motif, there is three entrances, the outer place, you go through the way, and then to go into the, the inner court or the holy place, you go through the truth. And then to go into the holiest of holies, you go through the life. Those are the names of the doors, the way, the truth, and the life. Does anyone recognize that? Yeah. yeah. Jesus is the only way. When you go through the way, there is a bronze altar that's located right there. And this bronze in the Bible typifies judgment. So the bronze altar, it was actually shaped, get this, it was shaped like a cross. Right? I know, it was shaped like a cross. It reminds us that our sins were judged, past, present, and future, on the altar of the cross. Then you go through uh, the truth, and you enter through by way of revelation into the inner court, or the holy place. And inside, there is the seven-branched menorah. There's the table of showbread, which is, typifies our communion right, that we share. There is the altar of incense, which depicts the, the, the prayers of the saints. And then we go through the life into the inner holy of holies, which is actually the veil, that curtain that was rent from top to bottom uh, when Jesus died on the cross. You go into that holy of holies, which is that place of restored shalom, rest, wherein the Ark of the Covenant resided. And that is the the very dwelling place of the throne of God, just like the human spirit. According to Ezekiel 41, I was reading this and it just blew me away. The walls of the temple were so thick that they were actually three stories high and built of chambers, right, Uh, in the outer wall. And um, I, I, like none of this is arbitrary. We kind of read through this stuff and we skim through it quickly and we go, oh yeah, that was very interesting back then. Wonder what on earth that meant. It actually really did mean something, both then and now for us prophetically. And so uh, ultimately those three stories represented um, that, that uh, you know, in our soul we have mind, a will, and emotions. And in those places there are many rooms. Um, the Bible also likens you to a house of many rooms. Right. So remember that you are a temple. Now, um, did anyone, was anyone here for Norm? Norm McLeod? That dude, eh? Yeah, that's why I got leather. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, Norm came and he spoke um, as part um, yeah, it was at the very end of our consecration series, right? We've been we've been getting and been taking us in this journey of consecration, uh, and um, the night before Norm was here, I spoke about us being priests, and I was really stunned because the next weekend Norm spent Friday night revealing to us the biblical model of the temple, which I've kind of just shared with you now, and how it foreshadows the fact that we function as priests. And I was just blown away by that, um, that we are called to minister to God like a priest and minister to others like a priest. And uh, I love, I just love God's timing in that. Um, But you see, each room of the temple requires habitation. It requires uh, legal access to be be given over to an owner or, or a possessor. 
So if God is the owner, if he's the landlord, then the tenants only have authority in so much as the head tenant, that's you and I, agree for them to abide there. So even the owner can't simply just evict the tenants without the one who has entered into agreement with them, giving them authority to do so. Uh, so this is, this is about, we're going to talk about position as an ownership um, versus position as in dominion. Okay, so turn to me to the scripture. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to look at Luke 13, 10 to 17. It's going to come up on the screen, but it says this. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days and not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the stall and lead it out to give order? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from that which bound her. And when he said this, all the opponents were humili humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. All right. So here we have this woman, right? She is a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound. That phrase, uh, this is in Luke, Luke uses that phrase, a daughter of of Abraham or a son of Abraham as a salvific form, okay? So in Luke, I'll show you, in Luke 19.9, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, uh, sorry, um, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham, right? He links salvation in this phrase. X 13, Luke wrote Acts, Acts 13.26. This is Paul speaking to the people of Antioch um, that when they receive Jesus, they become sons of Abraham. So here's this woman. She's part of the synagogue, right? She's a church member, and it's the Sabbath, and she's sitting under God's word, right? She's listening to the scriptures. So she's in right community in the family of God, and she is uh, being soaked in the word. She's saved, right? Not just ethnically. But she's also in right relationship with God. And Luke, who was actually a doctor, calls, it, calls out her, her genuine medically diagnosed problem. right? And he says, this has a spiritual origin. I'm not saying it always has a spiritual origin, but in this context, it's saying this has a spiritual origin. So she's a believer, and yet he, she has a, medically, a medical condition caused by the demonic in her. And my question is, how can a believer be saved and have a demon in them? I'm just, this is a sacred cow that I'm going to slaughter on stage. <laughs> Gory, yeah. Okay, <clears throat> let's go on. First John 5.18 says this, we know that everyone fathered by God does not sin. Wow. 
sorry, did you hear that? Everyone fathered by God does not sin. But God protects the one he has fathered and the evil one cannot touch him. So this is, this is according to the overall uh, teaching of Scripture, though the demonic can be in a believer or possess them, he cannot touch them in the sense of taking away their salvation. I've got like a dozen scriptures that can back that up. <laughs> God will keep ownership of them, right? Eternally. Now, some of you, um, I mean, you may have already reacted to that word, word possession. Um, I use that really deliberately. In the biblical Greek, there is a number of words for possession. Greeks were as humanistic as our culture now, right? The culture that we live in. And they love to possess things. In other words, they love to own things. They love to own them. And yet none of the words that are translated in, are translated in the New Testament, possession, are meaning ownership. Okay, so the, the Bible tackles, uh, in, the, in the narratives in the gospel, there are, there are deliverances, right? Can you all agree on that? It was one of the core ministries of Jesus. But every time that word possession is used, it is not meaning ownership. Instead, the Greek words used there have been tra translated to possession in English, but they mean something other than ownership. They mean like tenure, as in uh, the conditions under which a place is occupied. I'll break this down, but uh, they, they mean domain, as in a legal inhabitant retaining a place for the owner. You see, because the owner still retains the title, but the occupant does not have possession as an owner, but rather has rights as an occupancy. You got it? Okay, okay. Um, we're still going to use that word possession when it comes to demonic intruders because I believe it retains the meaning in English of something being inside, right, as a, an occupant. But some find it confusing, and, and um, maybe they find it unhelp, unhelp, unhelpful. And so there's alternative variants out there. We, we, could, we could say afflicted, we could say tormented, we could say vexed, we could say demonized. But the problem is that believers then, we often confuse that with being just simply externally oppressed right which is still a case but it's not specifically what we're talking about now and it's not actually what scripture was talking about in every narrative that describes the casting out of a demon even when it came to a believer so another word could be incumbent um, someone that holds a position of rank or authority anyway so I am I'm establishing for you a biblical literacy right Christians can have demonic intruders and they can be within you but I believe that's in the body or the soul region right the outer court the inner court not in the holy of holies I don't believe that if someone is given their life over to Christ and become a born again new creation that the demonic would or could remain an occupant in the human spirit because it's the Holy of Holies. It is the temple, uh, Holy of Holies, where the Spirit of God resides. And in saying that, there's going to be spiritual warfare take place, right? It would be naive to think that uh, there wasn't going to be a battle over humanity. And when someone's going from 
the kingdom of or the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God, there will be a swapping of that kingdom ownership. So there will probably be some, some battle going on. The beautiful thing, though, is that the gospel is it's just it's simplicity. It's so simple. The simplicity of the gospel. Ultimately, when we invite God to be our Lord and Savior, we are giving him authority and rights to own us, to own our spirit, man. And so he, he comes and takes, makes his home in us. How simple is that? That, that transition, that transaction, just from my volition, my belief in declaring something out. I think that's phenomenal. So deliverance is ultimately the, the disinheritance or the dispossession of demonic intruders. Right? Now, this is a big deal. If you look through the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the theme of possession is just integral to what God's doing on earth. Uh, they talk about it in the sense of God's people, therefore God himself, uh, his people representing him, um, possessing dispossessed land. You know, And people, the people of God coming into an inheritance, that which God had already ordained for them, they, they needed to possess. Um, that's why inheritance is such a big deal. You know, we are, we are heirs to the promises of God, but only in so much as we possess them. Um, <laughs> Gideon always says, uh, what does he say? He always says, um, God says the yes, but we say the amen, right? We, we possess our inheritance by faith. We, we appropriate by faith that which we already own. So you might, I don't know, does anyone own land on the West Coast or something? You might own land somewhere, right? <laughs> but there might be another occupant of that land. And so uh, this, is like, this is like God, he may possess your spirit, but you may still have other occupants in your soul, in your body. Now, um, we're, Olivia and I, we were living in London, and... Um, a lot of demons over there. Uh, <laughs> no, I wasn't going to talk about that. There's some, we had some good, fun stories. Um, but something I was really fascinated about was um, that wealthy landowners, right, they might own like a mansion in the city, and yet they live by the sea somewhere. <laughs> and they just leave these mansions empty, right? <laughs> um, this was probably before Airbnb. And uh, so they're living by the, by, you know, in some cottage by the sea. And... When they come back to town, they often find illegal squatters occupying their mansion. Right? Now, now these guys, they've just kind of hijacked the place. They're, they're sneaky. They're just sort of broken and entering um, uh, through some weakness in the construct, you know, somewhere they got in. Um, but, man, they wreak havoc. They, they tend to stick to one room, Right? And they do everything in that room. They defecate in the corner. They eat in the room. They hoard junk in the room. They just mess it up, right? And they create all sorts of seemingly uh, irreparable damage. Now, now, when the owner comes back to possess the house, they find that the squatter is there and they try to evict them. But this is oddly enough, the squatter claims their rights. 
<laughs> like you look into the law, law of it <laughs> this in the UK the squatter claims their rights and if they're if they're not actually squatting because some at some stage um, the the owner or the landlord actually gave them permission to be there then um, you know maybe they just stopped paying rent 10 years ago uh, they're, they're not actually a squatter they're, then they have rights and this is called adverse possession um, if a squatter is an adverse possessor uh they they can become legally the owner, the possessor as owners. It's crazy. Like you lost your house because you weren't in it. This is an analogy, right? Um, but I think it parallels, it quite, it's quite striking, the parallel, to, to the biblical precedents regarding demonic intruders. You know, because as believers, we allow the demonic to gain a foothold in areas of our lives that we haven't surrendered to the Lord. See, a stronghold is when a demonic when the demonic establishes some sort of fortress in a room in your temple, you know, and it might have some fairly difficult access. <laughs> They're hiding out. Strongholds are created when when Satan exploits, exploits legal access points in our lives. A stronghold, um, it always exists in both worlds, right? In the natural and in the spiritual, because there's a counterpart in both realms. So this is, this is um, in, really, in really brief, this is how the demonic can gain entry, right? This is how entry can occur. Through the permission that we give the enemy, like our perpetual, habitual, sin our own personal habitual sin uh maybe through through being the recipient of someone else's sin right where we receive wounding or trauma uh through a generational door which we inherit by our forefathers like curses demonic constructs through like freemasonry or something like that hand-me-downs or if we open ourselves up to the occult or witchcraft, New Age, that sort of stuff. These are, these are like legal access points. And strongholds, when they're established in, the life, in your life, they actually put the brakes on blessing. So you could be a born-again new creation, a believer, and yet you could be thwarting the flow of God's river of grace flowing in and through your life. And it, it feels like you're placed back under the legal system. Sometimes our volition of God's law removes uh, like our, 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 our disobedience, let's say, removes blessing and establishes strongholds, right? Ultimately, it's, it's resistance to God. Ultimately, when self or pride, the, that, that fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, reestablishes itself in our lives. But the thing is, often <laughs> we're just unawares. James 4, 6 to 10 says, um, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse well, 6. Uh, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's that. Wow, that's simple, right? So unless a stronghold is dealt with, uh, it'll keep kind of fortifying itself, and we get to live with the consequences of it. But then deliverance is kind of like a surgery, 
right? When you, when you remove a tumor, um, which is the demonic, healing can take place. Uh, and I've seen it happen the other way too, quite naturally sometimes, that when healing occurs in the soul, the tumor is just kind of pushed out. But most often these work to hand in hand, you know, um, that soul healing, uh, physical healing and spiritual healing. Um, we're, we're being redeemed and sanctified by the work of the Spirit. And, and that might take counselors, it might take loved ones, it might take therapists, it might take just the community of believers, it, but it's the process of deliverance. But ultimately, and you need to hear this really clearly, ultimately we can revoke Satan's claims in the name of Jesus so that Satan no longer has a hold on us. See, somewhere along the lines... Uh, in the church, the, the deliverance ministry got kicked out. It got re- relegated to a couple of hardcores or some weirdos. No offense if you're one of them, but uh, I was like 19 and I needed some work done in my life and I had to go and find some of these guys. Um, Kathy and Fonz Van Wemmel. Um, uh, <laughs> Fonz actually passed away recently, but Kathy's still going strong. And I, man, I didn't like looking in her eyes because she read my soul. Um, as a young person, but we, we went to them and, and they, they took us on a journey, you know, and I've revisited that journey in my life. Uh, six or seven years ago, I, I sat with a man who worked for Derek Prince in this area, Deliverance, for 10 years, and, and we had a four-hour session together. And, uh, but like, some, some, somewhere along the lines, the church just kind of relegated this out the door, you know, like um, in the 60s and 70s, there was a 50% increase in deliverance in Christian churches, right? And then it just seemed to taper after that to the level where the vast majority of believers are just confused about whether a believer can have a demonic intruder at all. And we just pushed it to the weird and the wacky and, and ignored it. But the del- deliverance ministry is, is currently undergoing a resurgence, Right? God started speaking to me, this, uh, to me about this last year, and, um, and then like movies started coming out. Has anyone seen Out in Jesus' Name? There's a movie called Out in Jesus' Name on what, Apple. <laughs> There's a guy, Greg, Greg Lockie, and then countless books have started coming out and surfacing, and this ministry is returning to the church, and it desperately needs to. You know, we talk about revival, we talk about consecration. This is a process of consecration. This is part of that process, and it's desperately needed, and it's necessary. The ministry is returning to the church precisely at the time when spiritual warfare is intensifying. You, can, you know spiritual warfare is intensifying. Eh? When the worldliness starts to get more worldly, and, and we either back off or we, we dig our boots in. So part of us maturing as believers is to become a church which is an aggressive, militant force divinely equipped to make assaults upon the enemy's realm. What was your word this morning? What was that? Uh, execution. Yeah, execution. Like the... the God is calling his church back into its rightful place and authority to execute his kingdom 
advancement. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is at hand. The, you know, it's, an, it's an, a, a force to be reckoned with. In Isaiah 61.1 and Luke 4.18, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who have been oppressed. That is our mandate. That was Jesus' mandate. And then He handed it on to us and says, Go and make disciples. See, God is so concerned with the cleansing and the restoring of His bride. As the, a, a church, uh, He's preparing us for a second coming of Christ, right? And so we apply deliverance on an individual level, but its wider aim is to purifying and free the bride the, so that the church can fully operate. So that the church isn't sitting under complacency. So we're not sitting under uncleanness, idolatry, uh, adultery, legalism, religiosity, intellectualism. These are all products of spiritual oppression. And we've just comfortably sat in the lukewarmness. And the Lord is calling us out of that into His fire. Now it takes discernment and spiritual wisdom. We have to mature into discernment and into spiritual wisdom, out of our apathy, out of a place where we move in generalizations into a place where we can be specific about addressing demonic activity. Otherwise, we get stuck like the disciples were, you know, in Mark 9, where they tried a whole variety of things and it just didn't work. They just couldn't figure it out. They just tried whatever was on the list, you know. And it didn't seem to work. And, and it took Jesus' revelation to say, hey, there's a key. You, I'm revealing the key. There is always a key. There is always a key to unlocking the enemy's loopholes and the reason why the demonic have jurisdiction or legal access or any rights to occupy in the first place. There is a key. And we seek the Lord and we work hand in hand with Holy Spirit to unlock the key and to take away those rights. So we need to cry out for discernment. We need to cry out for discernment like never before. Discernment, discernment can be three ways, right? It can be up, like discernment, discerning the ways of God, discerning what God's doing right now, what the Holy Spirit and His angels are doing, how they're operating. It can be down, discerning what the demonic are doing, their activity, their presence. And it can be sideways, right? Discerning... Um, what's flesh, what's, what's operating in the soul realm. So we have some homework this morning. Your homework is to pray for discernment. Start with yourself. <laughs> Start with yourself. Let's, let's stand. Let's stand. Pray for discernment. This is a heavy word for Father's Day, but God is calling us men up out of our complacency and into His destiny, into His plans and His purpose for our lives, into the promises that we want to step into. If you've been functioning like a yo-yo or you're frustrated or things are coming at you, then maybe this is something for you this morning. Pray for discernment. Pray that God would cancel every agreement that you've made. In fact, you could do that yourself. 
I cancel every agreement that I've ever made with the demonic. I'm going to lead you in a prayer soon. And, and uh, it's just a step. It's just one prayer, but it can have an effect on your life if you choose to believe it in your heart and declare it. Cancel every, every agreement that you've made. And don't practice what you don't want to become or, or what you don't want to give occupancy to. Don't practice that. Deny the flesh. Pick up the cross. There is a war waged against the promises of God being fulfilled in your life and in our life as this church. And, and, you know, God is saying the yes, but we need to start declaring that amen. We need, to, we need to come to the wall of intercession and wage war and give Him no rest until there is a completion in the freedom in our lives. I want to walk in greater freedom. I don't want to have anything in me. There was nothing in Jesus that could, you know, he was tempted in, in such extreme ways after 40 days in the wilderness. And yet it, he, there was nothing in him for it to latch onto. The, it's about us developing the lifestyle of a priest, the lifestyle of intimacy in the secret place. So I want to pray together. Uh, there's a crafted prayer and it's going to come up on the screen. It's kind of lengthy. But we're just going to pray it out together and declare it in your heart um, if that's something that you want to do. We're going to do it together. I'm really bad at doing these things, so I'm going to turn and face and we'll read it together. Here we go. <laughs> Let's do it at the same time. Uh, in the name of Jesus, oh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I repent for myself and my generational line. For all the manipulation that resulted in the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of control, for all rebellion that resulted in witchcraft, for all envy and jealousy of others, for personal recognition in the place of God's recognition, for operating out of woundedness, for damaging others with words and actions, for blaming others instead of personal confession for using others for selfish purposes, for not protecting those who needed protection, for those who destroyed relationships and released disunity, for leaders who used the church for their own purposes. In my generational line from Adam to the present, I break off the spirit of control. I break all curses and assignments of the spirit of control over myself and my generational line. Remove all ungodly spiritual beings and evil networks connected to me and empowered by my ancestors. Remove the veil from my head that hides me from others and God and bring me into freedom. Cut the cord that encircles my neck and breathe life into me. Restore to me and my family line all that the enemy has stolen. Restore health, restore finances, restore godly authority, restore relationships. I surrender my rights to follow Jesus Christ. I will walk in the protective armor of God. I will be a leader of grace, humbleness, and mercy. I will walk in unity with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. I will practice hospitality. I will bless those who persecute me I will be patient, loving, and kind. I will be humble. 
I will honour others. I will edify and lift up others. I will be quick to forgive. I will let all wrongs roll off me. I will rejoice in the truth. I will protect, trust, hope and persevere. Lord, I declare that I am a child of God. I am ruled by you. Amen. 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 Hey, we're going to enter into a time of worship. And this is just an opportunity. We've deliberately put worship at the back end so that if you want to spend time up the front or where you are, just consecrating yourself to the, to the Lord afresh. And maybe you want uh, to speak some of that stuff over you. Uh, if you want prayer, there'll be a team up the front ready to pray with you. Um, but let's, let's worship the Lord this morning.